Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. We're taping this as the Alabama-Georgia game is kicking off. I still can't believe that Georgia's favored in this game, Colby. I I defer to you on all things wagering in Vegas. Uh, this will be an extremely dated conversation, but uh, were you surprised that that Bama was an underdog yet again, like just like they were in the SEC title game? Yeah, as we're recording this, there are 14 and a half minutes left in the first quarter. So the game has just off, and I'm a little surprised Georgia was favored. I'm not massively but surprised. They were favored by six and a half in the national championship game. That was a few weeks ago. You know, Vegas is pretty stingy. They've got their numbers. They've got their data. They've got the way they evaluate games. And the money coming in on this wasn't crazy in either side's favor. Uh, you know, the, the Sharps are tending to fade the public and go Georgia. The public's tending to go Bama. I actually, Carson, I kind of think Georgia's a little bit better team, but they have got the mental hurdle of a lifetime to get over Bama. It's very much Bedlam-esque. It's very Iowa-Iowa State-esque, where one side has just dominated. And if the two teams are evenly matched, if one side's a little bit better, I mean, Georgia just has that mental hurdle. We've seen that, Carson. We know what it looks like, and it's hard to get over. So we'll see if they get it done. But I've got money on Bama, so I am rolling tide in my house tonight. Yeah, my extremely dated take on the game that it will be extremely dated when people listen to this is Bama's just better at quarterback, and that's what wins these games. That's what happened in the SEC title game. But maybe George will prove me wrong. But, again, nobody cares because this is going to be dated. But um, we got a lot to get to football-wise. Um, but first, it's here from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's sponsoring the pod. As always, we're kind of transitioning now from football into basketball season. And uh, we, well, I think Georgia just returned a fumble for it. I'm trying not to do play by play the national title game, but right. I, Since I people believe are going to be listening to this on Tuesday, but I, it, they're reviewing it. I think it was an incomplete pass, but I honestly don't know. Okay. That's the last of my play by play. I promise. This is <laughs> not good podcasting at all, considering when this is going to come out. So forget I just said all that. Uh, but is timely, though. Colby with the Georgia and Alabama playing in the SEC title game. You know, the, the conference commissioners are meeting in Indianapolis where the, the uh, national title game is, and there's a lot of discussion going on amongst them about playoff expansion. It's been an ongoing issue. And kind of what came out today, Greg Sankey kind of got on his high horse and basically said, look, we're not, get, we're not close to expansion. Nobody can agree, and we're fine. We don't need to expand because we're the SEC. We got two teams and a four-team playoff. But it should come as no surprise, I guess, Colby, that uh, they're, they're at a stalemate already with this. Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, walked out of those meetings with a blowtorch, and he took it to everybody. He took it to the Pac-12 and said, well, this is kind of an interesting situation we've got here where nobody out west is ever in play. That was, I mean, clearly a shot at the very lackluster Pac-12. Um, he said that just engaging in expansion conversations was an enormous give for the SEC. That give was because we have to have college football supported nationally. We don't need this, is what Greg Sankey said. It's just... 
And look, I'm not even totally saying that he's wrong because the SEC has been so dominant, but we're talking about the long-term health of college football here, and we've got college football in a very stagnant place nationally. Regionally, it's not stagnant at all. And and to me, Carson, Alabama-Georgia tonight, I think it's fun to see the two best teams go at it, but to me, that's not what makes college football great. What makes college football great are rivalry games in November. It's the pageantry. It's the tailgate, tailgating. It's the bands. It's, it's, it's the rivalries. It's all of it. That's what makes college football special. It, it's knowing on the second Saturday in November that if, if Oklahoma State doesn't win this game, that they're not going to play in the conference championship game. That's what makes college football great. It's not watching two programs that have the system totally rigged in their favor make it to the end because their players are better than everyone else. That's not what makes college football great. And yes, things are good in the SEC right now, but the long-term of he- long-term health of college football would benefit from the expansion of the playoff, and I hope at some point Greg Sankey and these other commissioners realize that. Well, I don't even fault Greg Sankey for what he said. I mean, what he said's right. They don't, the SEC doesn't need expansion. They're getting two teams in just about every year. Um, the way it's built now, Bama can lose two games and probably still get in. They didn't this year, but they, they probably could. So I don't really under, I don't fault him at all for his line of thinking. I fault everyone else. You know, the PAC 12 has come out publicly and said they're willing to accept any and all playoff scenarios, which they should, they're a distant fifth. They can't even get in as a, as it is right now, they're the they're the fifth conference left out of a fourteen playoff just about every time, and so I don't understand why the Big Ten or anyone else would be opposed to this. Um, but I will say this about the SEC, and Barry Trammell wrote a really good column just about the title game tonight on on the Oklahoman, and it's something I've said for years. The SEC has pulled a ruse on the rest of the country when it comes to college football. They only play eight conference games. That's one less loss every single year than the Big 12. Big 12 plays a round robin. They play nine conference games. The Big 10 plays nine conference games. The Pac-12, doesn't the Pac-12 play nine? I believe the Pac-12 plays nine, yes. I'm only assuming that because they start with three non-cons, and I don't particularly remember them scheduling rum-dumb state. I believe they do. I believe they do. So... They're already at an advantage right there. Then you throw in the fact that Alabama has completely dominated college football. You know, Nick Saban's trying to win what is eighth national championship. So by association, everyone just says, oh, that's, he's great because they're winning the national title every year. Well, Nick Saban's winning the national title every year. It's not Tennessee. It's not Vanderbilt. It's not Kentucky. It's not even Georgia. Georgia hasn't won one since 1980. So the SEC has been the best. They've had the best team in the country a lot of years. But that doesn't mean they've had the best conference. And the way it's artificially inflated by only playing eight conference games, by playing a rum-dum FCS team in November when everyone's beat up and Oklahoma State's playing Oklahoma in November or Oklahoma's playing Baylor in November, top five teams it's just they've built the system to sustain this narrative that they're by far and away the best conference and they by far and away have had the best program in Alabama but Greg Sankey and the SEC have pulled a ruse against the rest of college football and everyone's falling for it 
Yeah, they kind of have. I mean, the eight conference games, that's the biggest one to me. They play one less conference game than everybody else, and everybody just kind of lets them get away with it. Look, I do think the SEC is the best conference in college football, but a lot of that is largely because of Alabama. And Alabama itself, because Nick Saban has built, been so good and built such a dynasty, they've been able to attract all the top talent. So then the other top talent are going to the secondary SEC schools, Georgia, and now we see Texas A&M kind of changing the game with what they're doing with their LLCs down there in recruiting. And NIL and some of these things, it's going to change the landscape of college football, but Bama's still going to be around as long as Nick Saban is around. So that's not going anywhere, but honestly – it's brilliant from the SEC, Carson. It's brilliant. They play eight conference games, and they tell you that their eight are tougher than your nine. And ESPN tells you that. And CBS tells you that every Saturday for three months. And you get told it enough, and you believe it. I would love the SEC to play nine. I would. Alabama, there's a good chance that they win the national title tonight. They were within just some boneheaded coaching and playing away from losing as a three-touchdown favorite to Auburn. Let's just chuck another game in there against whoever, Kentucky. Just chuck another Kentucky in there. Throw, throw another Tennessee in there and just go play somebody. I mean, we see it all the time in the Big 12. Kansas State beat Oklahoma in back-to-back years. Iowa State, before they really even came onto the scene, beat that Baker Mayfield Oklahoma team. You play these teams in conference every single year, week in and week out, and that adds up. Teams get to know each other in your conference. That's the big one for me. The other stuff, look, they they recruit better. They put more players in the NFL on on a per-school basis. I get it. The SEC is great. I'm not denying that. I would love to see them play nine conference games, Carson. That, that is my number one complaint that I would have with the SEC and the way that they've kind of finessed the system. Uh, but again, th- this all comes back to Sankey's comments today. The, all the conference commissioners left frustrated, and they basically got nowhere on expansion talks. They got held up over whether there would be automatic qualifiers or whether the committee would pick the teams. It was just the whole thing was a disaster. A bunch of people showed up with a whole bunch of different things on their list they wanted to accomplish. So what did they do? They compromised and they accomplished nothing. Uh, and just one more thing for me, it's it's not about for me playing an extra conference game, potentially losing. For me, it's an overall math equation of the entire conference. One less conference game for the entire conference eliminates a loss for half of your league. So what does that do? It inflates their ranking based on wins and losses. And, and again, this is not the SEC's fault about playing the FCS team in November. I think it's brilliant. It gives them a built-in bye week when everyone's beat up, when everyone's injured. It's essentially an extra bye week without having to play an extra conference game. So every other conference could do that. I'm not blaming the SEC for the FCS opponent. I am blaming them that everyone's just giving them a pass on literally scheduling half their league one less loss, you know, half their league only not incurring another loss on a given week. So that's, that for me is the big deal. But to your point about them not coming to resolution, I'm not surprised by this at all, even though I think the big 10, the big 12 and everyone else should be absolutely for this. But for me, I don't think anything's going to happen until they absolutely have to. That's how the sport works, right? When the contract's up in 2025, you can bet your bottom dollar. As soon as that, that contract, those TV contracts are up nearing the 2025 year, they're going to come to a very quick resolution because ESPN and whoever else that matters, whether it's Fox or whoever else, they're going to tell them we want 12 because there's more money involved, but they're not going to do it until their hand is forced, in my opinion. 
No, and I, I don't think they will either because they can't agree on anything because different conferences need different things. So that makes it hard to agree. The SEC, look, one thing I'll agree with Commissioner Sankey on, they don't need expansion. You know what the Pac-12 desperately needs? The Pac-12 desperately needs expansion if they're going to sniff that playoff. I, maybe Lincoln goes out there and recruits a top-five class and gets USC to the playoff. That's very much to be determined. But the Pac-12 needs it. I mean, the ACC probably needs it if Clemson takes any kind of a down tick at all, like they did this year. The SEC is going to need it. The Big 12, sans Oklahoma, has needed it. it other conferences need expansion. The Big 12, uh, pardon me, not the Big 12, the Big 10 and the SEC really don't. The Big 10 gets one in every year. If it's not Ohio State, it's whoever's the next next team in line. This year it was Michigan. Those two conferences really don't. And when your uh, your needs don't align and, and what you're after doesn't align, then all of a sudden you've got a bunch of people wanting different things in a room trying to come to a conclusion, and it doesn't happen. So until they're pressed, until those contracts are up, until their hand is forced – I kind of expect them just to sit still and not do anything, which means that we're going to be sitting with a 14 playoff for a while. I love the idea of more teams in the playoff. I think 12 is a good number because if you put that many teams in the playoff, you know what that gives you, Carson? It gives you a much more interesting regular season because now there are 40 schools who on October 15th still think, oh, man, if this thing breaks the right way, we could sneak in there number 12 it just gives more teams things to play for longer throughout the season and yes we have blowoffs blowouts in the playoffs right now you know what we would get less of if we had more teams in the playoffs blowouts because the five six matchup the four eight matchup these matchups are less likely to be blowouts than one four because the two teams at the top alabama and georgia are so far ahead of everybody else the gap from two to three is bigger than the gap from three to twelve so let's put more teams in and get more exciting games. Sure, Alabama and Georgia are going to still end up in the natty, but other schools are going to have more things to play for. Hopefully that's what we get to eventually, but until their hands forced, I don't expect them to do much. Yep, I'm with you. The, the blowouts, that's why it was funny when everyone started ripping Cincinnati. It's like, guys, the Big Ten didn't score a point in back-to-back playoffs, okay? The, the blow, blowouts are nothing new. I thought Cincinnati did a good job to keep the score as close as they did, considering how dominant Bama was. But the blowouts in the semifinals, I think, only further enhances the need for expanded playoff. Or else just go to two. Just let, just let Georgia and Bama play every year if that's what we're going to do, because it's just the, it's those two and everybody else right now. But I do want to talk about basketball in a second, Colby. We got some football notes to get through first. I figure we just stick with football for now. Uh can, we get a, can I get a hand for uh, the Big 12 having the best bowl record among any Power 5 conference? I mean, thank you. Thank you. I needed that. But, and look, before everyone says, you can't judge it on the bowl games, and look, the bowl game metric is not a perfect one. But we literally have nothing else to go on. So I'm definitely going to point, point to it, especially when the Big 12 gets just crapped on all year long. People don't think it's any good. And the simple fact is it's a really good conference. I think it has an argument with the big 10 for the second best conference in the league. And again, don't tell me how good the big 10 is. I'm not here for it. It's Ohio state. And it's a, a good Michigan team. I would not say great, maybe above average this year compared to where they were. But other than that, that league stinks. And so Colby, I know it's not a perfect metric, but the big 12 did have the best record among power fives. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like this. You don't use the bowl games as everything, right? Bowl games aren't the gospel. 
But it's something to look at and point to and say, okay, here's what we're looking at. Yes, Matt Corral got hurt in that game. That's part of football. They started Matt Corral. I mean, Baylor's defense played well. They win that game. Oklahoma State goes out. Oklahoma State and Notre Dame had most of their guys suiting up on both sides of the ball. Yes, Kyron Williams didn't play. I've got news for you. Notre Dame wasn't running the ball anyway. Just wasn't going to happen. So (laughs) it's – The Big 12 is better than people give it credit for. And to me, it's less about, you know, look at these bowl records and more about the fact that year in, year out, these teams face every single opponent in the conference. They get to know each other incredibly well. And to an extent, this league, historically, when I say historically, last five to ten years, has cannibalized itself because these teams know each other so well. These coaches know each other so well. They know all their tendencies. They know how to exploit them. It's it's tough, Carson. It's different than these teams in the SEC that frankly play three or four of the same teams on their schedule every year, and the rest of them, they're rotating through once every three or four years. Well, staffs are different. Rosters are different every three to four years. That's not the same thing as Matt Campbell coming to town every single year, as Chris Kleiman coming to town every single year. Those are two very different things, and I hope that people recognize that because the Big 12 does get underrated nationally, and this year I do think that it was the second-best conference nationally. I don't always think that's the case because there are years where Ohio State's incredibly elite. They were not this year. Michigan was a good, not great team. So this year, I do think the Big 12 was the second best conference, and uh, it'd be nice if they would be recognized as such. I'm sure someone's already been yelling at their computer, phone, whatever they're listening to this podcast on. Colby, what, they, they've probably been bringing this up the whole time we've been talking so far. What's one of the hardest things to do in sports? Uh, just play the same team over and over again. Beat them, beat them over and over again. Twice, right? Beat the same team twice is really hard to do. And that's something I didn't mention about the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and the Big 10. There can be a rematch. There is a rematch every year in the, in the Big 12 based on the, the conference they have right now. That's another thing. George and Bama didn't have to play each other until the SEC title game. Like, you can avoid the best teams in your conference that way. That's what another reason the Big 12 just – that's that's kind of my more my point than been bagging on the SEC. The Big 12 gets no credit for one playing a round robin schedule, nine conference games, everyone plays everyone, there's no divisions, there's no avoiding anybody. And number two, there's an automatic rematch. You know, you have to beat a team twice to win the Big 12, and that's one of the hardest things to do in sports. So, the Big 12 has a PR problem. They've had it for years, that's nothing new. The SEC has mastered the PR with the way they've set up their conference. Now, with the Big 12 expanding, hopefully this changes, hopefully with the respect that Cincinnati's earned, that Houston's earned, that Oklahoma State has certainly earned this year by beating Notre Dame and the season they had. Hopefully that starts to change because we've mentioned it many times in this podcast, Cole. People just fall back on, ah, the Big 12, they don't play any defense. Like, people aren't paying attention. But hopefully that, hopefully that's a change and that hopefully – this is a sign of things to come because the, the TV numbers are out for Oklahoma State, and they're really, really good. I mean, the conference title game between Oklahoma State and Baylor drew just about the same number as when Oklahoma was in it the year prior. So in the numbers, they had 8 million total viewers for the Big 12 title game, just under that for the Fiesta Bowl. Bedlam game, about 6.5 million. So Basically, Oklahoma State averaged nearly 3 million total viewers per game across the country. That is a really, really strong number, Colby. And I think this is something that Chad Weiberg, Dr. Casey Shrum, Mike Gundy need to be screaming from the mountaintops 
to whoever will listen and, and prove that, you know, hey, Oklahoma State, you want to expand your league? You're not going to find a better program than us. Yeah, I think so, too. Oklahoma State needs to be beating its chest and, and really showing off what it did this year and what was a huge, huge season for the program. I mean, Oklahoma State could not have picked a better time to go out and win 12 games with everything happening in the landscape of college football changing. Uh, and, and, yeah, Oklahoma State doesn't get enough respect. The Big 12 doesn't get enough respect. And it's like you said, talking about the defenses, Carson. We talked about it last week. Narrative and reality move at different speeds. Reality moves a lot faster than narrative. The Big 12 plays legit defense, really good defense in this conference. Baylor, Oklahoma State, um, you know, Oklahoma's defensive line was really good. TCU this year was, was atrocious, but they've been a good defense for 15 years. This, defense, this conference plays really good defense, and still we'll get some jackass up in Iowa talking about, oh, this is big boy football here. This isn't the Big 12. you got to earn every yard that you're playing for here. And, and it's like, dude, you play for Iowa. Please come to Stillwater. I beg you to come to Stillwater and learn how football is played in the Big 12. So it's just narrative and reality move at different speeds. At a time, Carson, whenever we have more access to more content than it ever before, people want to be lazy. They want to rely on the same lazy takes they've had for the last five years. And this conference is in a much different place than it was five years ago. Five years ago. It's 2022 now, Carson. Five years ago was Mayfield Mahomes. It's been half a decade since Mayfield Mahomes. That reputation has to die. It has to. And as much as Oklahoma State and their defense has certainly, I think, changed the narrative. I got to give it up to Baylor, Colby. You mentioned it, the Sugar Bowl. They knocked Matt Corral out early in that game. Colby, was anyone, you know, weeping tears or giving excuses for Oklahoma State when they haven't had their starting quarterback in Bedlam two years? Remember when J.W. Walsh had to play, Mason Rudolph had a broken foot. Yep. Uh, you know, Spencer Sanders was hurt. I mean, did anyone, did anyone cry about Oklahoma State missing their starting quarterback in Bedlam? I don't uh, think no, they did. No. No tears were shed, Carson. I can say with certainty, no tears were shed. Nobody just said, oh, OU wasn't impressive because they beat a, a team without their quarterback. Nobody said that. Like, man, look how good OU is. Well, I got to say that about Baylor. Their defense is big time. And you have to give a lot of credit for what they overcame. We know about all the scandals and everything. But I want to give them credit for the athletic department that they currently have now. They're paying their coaches big time money. They got that private school money. It came out after the fact how much they were paying Matt Rule, which was kind of some crazy money. Now they're paying Dave Aranda that. They've built a stadium. Them and Oklahoma State, meaning, meaning Baylor, they're now the, the, the flag carriers for the Big 12. I think it's pretty clear to me that the recruiting area that Baylor's in as well is big time. I think we're looking at Colby, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. We'll have to see about Cincinnati. Again, I keep saying it. They're coming in at a very similar spot that TCU did to the league. And TCU didn't win a Big 12 title. They were kind of up and down. They didn't make a Big 12 championship game before OSU did. But I think it's a Baylor and Oklahoma State league moving forward. And I'm really impressed with Baylor and the program they've built and continue to build with Dave Aranda. Yeah, those two are undoubtedly in the best position moving forward. And it's not a surprise, Carson, that those are the two behind OU and Texas. And you can correct me if I'm missing somebody. Those are the two that spend the most money. 
on head coaches and assistant coaches uh, and, and more and more so recruiting. And Baylor's budget's private. I know we don't know that, but there are some reports that have leaked out about what they're paying rule, what they're paying Aranda, that kind of stuff. Money matters in college football, Oklahoma State and Baylor. No, they don't have as much as OU in Texas, but they've got more than TCU and Kansas State and Iowa State and Cincinnati and UCF and BYU and all these other schools. So those two schools are very well poised to kind of be the next OU in Texas of the Big 12. And I've said this from the day it was announced. I was on vacation whenever it was announced. I was in Washington, D.C. whenever I found out that OU and Texas were going to the SEC. And my first thought, Carson, before I got to the idea that, oh, this might die and Oklahoma State might be uh, left out in the cold, my first initial thought was, man, this could be unbelievable for OSU to get away from OU and start to run things, get out of the shadow of Oklahoma and become your own team in your own conference that you run. I mean, how great does that sound? And I'll tell you what, after 12 and two, it sounds even better, Carson. Oh, you're right. I mean, it's, it really has been perfect timing for a season like this. You're not wrong about that at all. Um, there is some turnover though. We keep talking about how great OSU is on defense. They lost Jaden Jernigan to Missouri, which I will quite frankly never understand. And it appears Tanner McAllister is following Jim Knowles to Ohio State, which again, I, I can see that. I mean, he obviously has a, a great level of respect for, for Jim Knowles. He'll know the system and have a leg up on a lot of the guys that are at Ohio State currently. But man, Colby, that Colby Harvell Peel entered the draft, Trey Sterling's gone. Uh, Ohio State apparently has several players with starting experience at the safety positions, although they do have some injury issues there. I was kind of surprised he was going there, but it makes sense, Colby. If he's able to play a lot at Ohio State, that would certainly help his draft stock. But all of a sudden, you look at that secondary, Colby, and there's going to be a lot to replace. Yeah, there is going to be a lot to replace. And I think we kind of knew that, right? I mean, when you have a defense this good with players this good, some of those guys are going to leave, and I don't blame them one bit. You know, to the guys going to the NFL, go get your money, man. Go get your money. If you can get it, if you think you're going to get drafted and make a roster, go play on Sundays. That's the dream, right? That's the dream. Your body only has so many hits in it. Uh, I mean, you're, you're taking hard hits at the collegiate level. You're going to take harder hits at the NFL level. You've only got so many hits in that body. Go, go live the dream. Go play on Sundays. As far as Tanner McAllister goes, Look, I don't blame him. He loved playing for Jim Knowles. He wanted to keep playing for Jim Knowles, and Jim Knowles probably told him, look, we've got two safeties, Josh Proctor from Owasso and, and the other kid, I can't remember his name, both coming off leg fractures this season. We're going to need depth in the secondary. You're going to be one of those guys. You come play for me at Ohio State. We're going to have a great defense, and guess what? You're going to have a whole bunch of little Buckeyes on the side of your helmet, and you're going to get drafted in the first three rounds next year. Come to Columbus. And, and he went, and I don't blame him in the slightest. Go, go do what you think's best for you. It's all about, for, for a lot of these guys, the guys that are talented enough, it's all about going and getting that money and playing on Sundays and living the dream. I don't blame them one bit. I wish all of them the absolute best. Uh, Christian Holmes, actually, as we're recording this podcast, I was scrolling through here, uh, reading somebody at the Senior Bowl who released a scouting report of Christian Holmes, said that he absolutely pops on film, bigger corner that can stick with some of these NFL receivers, really good cover guy, you know, Go play on Sundays. Go make your money. 
Uh, I hope that next year we're sitting here talking about some rookies that have made rosters and, and have been big time in that league. So uh, we've seen guys do it. We, we've seen even some surprising guys. Trey Flowers has done it for a while. Tyler Patman popped in the NFL for a while. Emmanuel Ogba has been unbelievable in the NFL. Uh, Vincent Taylor was great, you know, in the NFL. So there have been some good guys out of Oklahoma State, and this year's defense is going to put more of them in that league. We're going to see more of them on Sundays, and that is a good thing. Yep, you're right. I'm, I'm somewhat surprised, though, considering, you know, they do lose Colby Harvell Peel to the NFL draft, Trey Sterling as well. I mean, McAllister played in the Fiesta Bowl. Like, there's a pretty close to a guarantee he'd be starting next year at Oklahoma State. I don't know if that's a guarantee. I know Jim Knowles probably gave him the recruiting pitch, but it's a risk. I'll say that. But good for him. Gets to go wear Buckeyes on his helmet. And, uh, you know, you're just having Ohio State next to your name is going to get you more looks with the NFL. So I certainly don't blame him and wish him all the, all the best. I did mention Harvell Peel to the NFL draft. LD Brown as well. Colby, for me, it's just – you're in college that long. I mean, <laughs> I get it. Like he was part of the 2016 recruiting class from Oklahoma Whoa. state. I mean, that's, that's an eternity. Like we all, we've all been in college by the time you hit your fourth, fifth year, at least I was my fifth year. I was ready to get out. I was ready to go. I was ready to go make some money and, and not go to school. And I, I feel like LD Brown's the same way, but I, I thought it was kind of cool Colby that he was able to play in the Fiesta Bowl. And he had some good, he had some good runs early. Didn't get much run after that, but he at least finished on a strong note with OSU getting some good carries there in the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, he did. And I think that his sell at the next level is going to be, look, I was hurt all year in the 2021 season. Go look at my film from 2020. Go ahead. Go look at it. Whenever I wasn't even the starter, he was really good last year whenever Oklahoma State needed him in times that Chuba just wasn't healthy and it wasn't working. Oklahoma State needed LD Brown in 2020, and he was there. Uh, and I hope that's how Oklahoma State fans remember him. He was hurt this whole year. That's That happens. That's part of football. At some point, Carson, you're going to go try to play in that league on Sundays. Those guys don't want to see a two and a five next to your name when you're coming into the league. 25 years old. How many running backs in the NFL are, are over 28? I mean, that's the most violent position in the league. You're getting popped every time you touch the ball. Not a ton of guys are doing that into their 30s. Uh, so... He's been around for a long time. Yes, he could have come back, probably been the starter next year with Jalen Warren on his way out. But at some point, you, you've just been in school for so long. It's time to go try to live the dream. Uh, now, because he's been hurt this whole year, because he doesn't have a ton on film, does he make a roster immediately? I don't know. But I don't blame him for wanting to try before he essentially ages out of a team wanting to take a chance on him. Yep, I, I totally agree. So hopefully he'll get his shot in the NFL. And you're right, man. He, he was great. That, that the year uh, 2020 season, he, he was awesome because before we talked about it, he, he wasn't as effective whenever Chuba would come off the field. But man, he at times he was in, in fact, for the whole year, I thought he was better than Chuba Chuba's last year. So maybe that film will will pop for the NFL scouts. Uh, let's transition to some college basketball. Big win for Oklahoma State, Colby. They take down Texas 64 to 51. They were just flat out dominant defensively. But the story of the game, really, Colby, was uh, was Keelan Boone. He, he got more more run, and he had a career-high 17 points. Keelan! We knew, Carson. <laughs> I told you, at some point, this team, which cannot shoot the three, you know what they're going to do? They're going to show up one day, and they're just going to go in. And they're going to upset somebody that nobody thinks they're going to upset. Texas comes in at 12-2, and two, and they leave at 12-3 and three because Keelan Boone could not miss. Six of eight from the floor, five of seven from beyond the arc. The, the one from the corner at the end of the game, I mean, that's just icing on the cake. When you're essentially running out the clock, they don't cover 
for you in the corner and you just throw one up because you're having a day and you're feeling yourself. Good for Keelan Boone. Huge, huge moment for him. A guy who's really paid his dues uh, during his time at Oklahoma State. I thought Musa Cisse made some big plays. Bryce Williams, 6 of 6 from the free throw line, is a big deal for a team that doesn't shoot it well from the stripe. Only 69% as a team. That's nice. Bryce Williams, 6 for 6, though, big time from the free throw line. And he's actually gone up to about an 84% shooter from the stripe this year, which has been big. So you, you look at a team in Oklahoma State who got outshot percentage-wise by Texas from the floor on only one more attempt, but from three-point land, Texas 6 of 22, Oklahoma State 8 of 17. Oklahoma State won the rebounding battle. Oklahoma State had five fewer turnovers. Um, Oklahoma State shot 16 more free throws. For those of you who complain about the officiating, 16 more free throws for Oklahoma State. It was just everything kind of clicked for Oklahoma State, especially in that second half against what is supposed to be a, uh, a really good Texas team. But I just you, – you can't be happier for Keelan Boone, Carson. That guy's worked hard. He's, he's kind of gotten buried on the depth chart some, and he had a big, big day and really propelled Oklahoma State to that win. I've never really understood Keelan Boone's role in this program. Dating back to last year, it felt like when he was given a real run last year, he would knock down threes – pretty much any time he got a substantial run with minutes and he'd only played more than 20 minutes twice this year coming into the Texas game. And it just, it, it feels to me like he has to play more than 20 minutes to get in the flow of the game. And he, he did struggle against Houston. One of those games, he played 24 minutes. He was one of seven, but when he's out there, especially last year, when he was out there, he was knocking down threes. And we all know if there's one thing this team needs, <laughs> it's three-point shooting. And he's, you mentioned it. He goes five of seven. The, and the only reason I could just come up with in my head why he hasn't played more is perhaps he just doesn't do everything else very well. Perhaps he's not where he's supposed to be defensively. I'm sure Mike Boynton has his reasons. He knows how to coach basketball but far better than I do. But with the huge need they have on this year's team with three-point shooting, he has to play, and he has to play a lot. And hopefully that game he had against Texas will, will earn him more playing time, Cole, because haven't you been a little perplexed with, with his three-point prowess that he hasn't been out there hardly at all much in his career? Yeah, it just seems like he seems very streaky. So I get it. You know, he goes into slumps and stuff, and, and then he's not giving you a ton out there. But with his size, I mean, it wasn't just the 17 points. He had six rebounds to go along with it, tied for the team lead in rebounds with really kind of surprisingly Avery Anderson, who was crashing the boards from his guard position. But Keelan can be a bit streaky, so I understand it from that perspective. But on a team with no shooting, you, you just kind of have to let him go. You just kind of have to let him go and live with the fact that, yes, he went five of seven against Texas on Saturday. Next time he steps out there, it could be one for eight. But that's kind of just what you have to live with on a, on a team with no shooting. I mean, right, Carson? This isn't the Splash Brothers. We don't have Steph and Clay where other guys can be picky. You've got a guy who can shoot. I mean, that guy's got to see his 25 minutes and get his shots up. Otherwise, who's going to be putting him in from beyond the arc and, and creating space for the offense? Yeah, it's just, it's such a need that you simply have to have him out there. Like, I, he, he may give it up on the other end, but you're just, we've seen how woeful they've been in the half court. And I think he's definitely earning more playing time. So it was great to see him knock down some shots and get out there. Uh, two other guys that really stood out, you know, Bryce Williams is just a total wild card. <laughs> you know, he famously said that he hates school last year and then graduated, uh, which was just an, is, is an amazing story that a kid could overcome 
not not liking school as much as he did. He said he this year he wants to stay away from the bars. So it sounds like he he's a he's a funny guy, but he's also growing up before our very eyes. And he he really played well down the stretch. You know, he scored nine points in the final six minutes, including a three pointer, which are like found gold with this team with their outside shooting. So I thought Bryce Williams really stood out along with along with Avery Anderson, Colby. Yeah, the Bryce, the whole Bryce Williams story, you know, coming over as the transfer, and then he kind of wins over Hearts because he's this high flyer dunker. He can shoot some, and then last year, toward the end of the year, he gets sick. He he can't play in the Big Twelve tournament. Uh, he he's very limited if he played at all in the NCAA tournament, which was a huge loss for Oklahoma State. You go into the offseason, nobody knows if he's coming back because he he's gone on record with his hatred for school. He gets the DUI. He talks about wanting to stay away from the bars, showing some growth there, stuff like that. And uh, he, he's big time for Oklahoma State because they need veteran leadership on this team. Ice likely does some of that, but they, they also need a guy who can just score the basketball. And that's what Bryce Williams is good at. It's not always going to be three-point shooting. It's not always going to be high-flying dunks, but it's going to be one or the other. He can do that. And I really... This game Saturday, Carson, and this is a little more macro here, but I thought that this was such an important game for Oklahoma State, and I know it didn't feel that way going in. It may not even feel that way to a lot of people now, but I think that the basketball season at 7-5 and five, with all the excitement from football and then you have the letdown when that season ends, I think that this basketball season, Carson, had just a little bit started to feel like the lame duck season that it is. There's no conference tournament waiting for you at the end of the year. There's no NCAA tournament waiting for you at the end of the year. It's a lame duck season. But at the beginning of the season, it didn't feel that way because everybody was mad at the NCAA. There was this common enemy. We were all coming together, supporting the basketball team and overcoming that. And then we got all totally just got embedded in football and got lost in that. And basketball got pushed to the back burner. And then there's seven and five, one game into conference play. And it started to feel like the lame duck season, and you needed to remind people, no, no, look, this isn't Kansas, this isn't Baylor, but this is a good basketball team with a lot of good players, good young talent, and a really talented young coach that guys want to come play for. And I just think it was good for the momentum of the program and for the fan base to get that big win, especially at home on Saturday, so people keep coming back, keep supporting the program, because, yes, it's a lame duck season, but these guys are talented, this coach is talented, they need the support. So from that standpoint on the macro level, I actually thought it was a really big win on Saturday. Uh, you're right. It was huge. And my last point on the game would be Avery Anderson doesn't have to be Cade Cunningham. He's not, but he has to, he has to be the guy and he, he finished two of eight shooting, but Mike Boynton called it his best game. Despite that, you know, he scored 26 against Xavier 29 against Cleveland state, but he, he tied for the team lead and in, in rebounds. Uh, he, he really filled up the entire stat sheet. Uh, he had three steals, four assists, and only one turnover. This season, to me, Colby, is going to go how Avery Anderson's goes. You know, he he tested the NBA draft waters and just chose to come back. He needs to play like an NBA first-round draft pick if they're going to have a non-lame duck season for me. Yeah, I think so, too. And last year it was – You know, I'm not going to say easy, but last year, Kate Cunningham was obviously drawing a lot of attention. So Avery just has more room to work. It, It does make things easier when the number one overall pick in the draft is on your team, because guess what? Less people are paying attention to you. This year, people know Avery Anderson can score the ball. They remember what he did in Morgantown last year. Avery Anderson can ball, and he's getting more attention. There's an adjustment period. 
he's a great basketball player. He's going to be fine. But like you said, I mean, this season's a long way from over. They've got 16 more conference games. And for them to go 500 or better in those 16 in what is just a brutal, brutal basketball conference, they're going to need Avery Anderson to be the guy that he was in February last year. And, you know, that's a big ask. But it's a big ass for a reason because he's really talented and because they need it. So hopefully he can be that guy. Uh, the shooting wasn't there for him on Saturday. But like you said, you like that on a day that the shooting wasn't there, ties the team leading rebounds, four assists, three steals. It, it was a good game from Avery Anderson. Hopefully he can build on that uh, and continue to see more of that positivity. One of the better games he's ever had is at West Virginia, and that's where they start next. How about this next three-game stretch this week for Oklahoma State? At West Virginia at 8 o'clock, at Texas Tech at 6 o'clock, at Baylor in Waco. That three-game stretch this week, any tough? Oh, man. That's uh, – exhale. That's the, you're going to need a big upset somewhere in there for this to uh, for this to be a good situation for Oklahoma State basketball. The, the Big 12 is so brutal, man. It's such a tough conference. It's, it's tough, and, and OU looks better than perhaps we thought they were going to be with new head coach Porter Moser. Uh, they get they get a crack at Texas again coming up soon at, at Austin. So it's uh, it's not getting any easier. The, you know the COVID delays kind of made this stretch you know even more t- tough road trip wise than it had to be. I mean, you go all the way, you go all the way east to West Virginia, and then you go all the way west to Texas Tech, and then on to Baylor. So it's uh, it's a brutal brutal stretch. Um, one quick uniform note brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. That's becoming like second nature to me, by the way. But uh, did you happen to see the Oklahoma Aggies, Hen- Coach Henry Iba uniforms? They, they kind of teased on Twitter and then said, we're not wearing these, actually. Did you happen to see those? No, I did not happen to see those. I, I totally you need, to go to, you need to go to Oshu's Twitter account, the basketball account, because they are spectacular. They say Aggies across the front with the old school OSUO in the middle. And I got really excited when I saw the picture because they got these this really cool trim around the neckline, and uh, I got really excited. But then they said at the very end, "By the way, we're not we're not wearing these." So I got my hopes up really really hard, and then I was I was I was very disappointed. Carson, so many of the OSU throwbacks in all sports are just. I mean, they're incredible. Like Oklahoma State has. I, I'd love to see some of the other throwbacks from around the nation. I can't imagine there are too many nastier than the ones in Stillwater. Have you seen them yet? I'm going to send you a link right as we talk. I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. They tweeted a lot. I had to, it took me a while to find it, but I'm going to tweet it so much. I'm about to DM you a link here in case you don't find it anytime soon. So I just sent it to you. Yeah, they're I spectacular. Um, they're great. Um, one more note while you're looking those up Terry Miller. Oh, Terry oh. Miller makes the no, College no. Football Hall of Fame uh, for the Olds. Wait, before we get to that, did you see the uniforms? I just saw the uniforms, Carson. Oh man, why didn't they wear these? That's got to be like a an NCAA rule or something where you only have so many uniforms. Yeah, because they even have the old, old, old uniform that somebody wore laying on the court on this, these photos that they sent out. Oh, that's man. an old school jersey. So God, those are so sweet. Shame well, on the NCAA if that's the reason. Shame on them regardless. Well, and I would love for them to wear them because one of my one of my good OU friends named Dan Roden, he still thinks calling Oklahoma State Aggies, like he, he feels like that just twists the knife, that it like bothers me and bothers OSU people. Look, that, that was our nickname 
that was the nickname of Oklahoma State. And, you know, Pat Jones famously wore the Aggie sweatshirt and they kept winning with it. And that really, because back then, Oshie fans, I guess, did get upset about that. They didn't like being called that. I thought it was derogatory. Pat Jones said to hell with that and started wearing an Aggie sweatshirt. And it, uh, it kind of stemmed the tide on that. But for my buddy Dan Roden's sake, I hope they finally wear those at some point just to get rid of the stigma. I don't, I don't mind being called Aggies because we, we were Oklahoma A&M. That's what, that's what the name was. Doesn't bother yeah, me. Aggies is not derogatory to me. Every so often somebody throws it out. I like that's good one. Good one. Yeah, you, ro- you roasted us. I, yeah, no, that's not a good, uh, not a good burn at all. I don't mind Aggies, and I would love, love to see those Aggies uniforms on display. Count me in. My dad's a really happy camper tonight. Terry Miller, College Football Hall oh, of yeah. Famer. Yeah, Terry Miller, long overdue. Long overdue for Terry Miller, one of the greats of all time. Uh, this has been a long time coming. Yeah, and, and look, I, I get why the olds – get upset about that he was absolutely big time when i was doing my research for who should go up in the ring of honor he popped i mean his his accomplishments are up there amongst the greats of college football a very worthy member of the 2022 hall of fame class a two-time all-american that's what kind of stunned me colby as many great players as oklahoma state had the list of two-time all-americans is not a long list and terry miller was was unbelievable. I think the stat that I had was, I'll have to go, I'll have to go back and look up my notes, but I, I think he was like behind only Terry Rozier and like Billy Sims for like rushing yard or some crazy stat like that uh, for his, for his era. So he's big time and a, and a worthy inductee or at least been named to the 2022 class of the uh, college football hall of fame. That's big time. Yep. Long overdue and more recognition for Oklahoma State and Terry Miller gets his uh, his due so he will be in the ring of honor sooner rather than later in Stillwater that bumps him up in the pecking order like if you're in the college football hall of fame like uh like Barry and Thurman are does that kind of skip you to the front of the line oh yeah. good question you would think it would certainly move you up the list if you're not already at the top yeah Leslie O'Neill just got inducted so I would when we we all kind of speculated that he would be next anyway the fact that he's college football hall of famer and perhaps the best defensive player in school history. Uh, but no, I think, I think Terry Miller will be up there uh, sooner rather than later as well. Yeah, I would think so too. And, and both of those guys should be up there sooner rather than later. Like we said, whenever we talked about this in the fall, whenever Barry was going in, Oklahoma state got a very late start to the whole ring of honor thing. So there just are, uh, there are a ton of names stacked up just in the, uh, in the queue waiting to be, to be thrown out there. You remember the old Netflix queue? Yeah, that, that's what Oklahoma State has right now. It's just names stacked in a queue. I'm looking up an old school quote here. My, sorry, my, my ADD brain's going nuts. Yeah, you're right. He'll be in the queue. Uh, <laughs> do you have a, uh, do you have a, since the national title games tonight, this is what we'll end with, Colby, uh, Georgia and Alabama, Todd Munkin calling plays for Georgia. <clears throat> do you have any favorite Todd Munkin memories? from his, his time at Oklahoma State? Todd, Mar- him and Dana Holgerson's years run together. What years was Munkin in Stillwater? He was only there 2011 and 2012. Then Yersich came in in 2013. I, I mean, I would say all of my best memories are Whedon to Blackman. Those are all of my best Munkin memories. Uh, I have a quote for you. Hit me. Uh, he, what I loved about Todd, like, when I covered Oklahoma, I covered Oklahoma State extensively in 2011, 2012. It was kind of like my beat back then. 
we used to see him and sprint in his direction because whatever you were getting that day, nothing was going to be better than anything he had to say. He was that great. And, and really just didn't pull any punches. He basically said, leaning into Bedlam, we want to go kick their ass. We don't care if they're Oklahoma and they, they can bring their little wagon too. He said something along those lines. <laughs> and then he, he took a shot kind of at, uh, <laughs> at Landry Jones. Quote from Todd Munkin back in the day. And this is after the Bedlam game in 2011 when Landry had that, that brutal fumble to Rashetti Jones. Quote, it didn't take long when old Broyles went down and they started running the dozer to think, do we have our guy? That didn't take long. Landry Jones went from like, I'm the man to all of a sudden, I haven't thrown a touchdown pass and I'm fumbling it over my head at Oklahoma State. I got to go back and see my quarterback guru. <laughs> oh, oh, that's great. I, I wonder if he's still giving out good quotes like that or if he has been, um, for lack of a better term, I don't know, institutionalized by professional and big time sec football where you're not allowed to speak your mind i hope he's still giving good quotes wonder if if they even let them talk to coordinators under kirby smart and nick saban they're they're some of the more buttoned up coaches in in college football so he's probably not giving just unbelievable quotes like he used to but i i do miss todd he was he was a great offensive coordinator and has done really well at georgia so that was my parting shot. Uh, Colby, we'll get back with you uh, later in the week. We're going to kind of dive more into the college football season. Marshall Scott wrote a really good article on Pistols Firing about the top 10 plays this year for Oklahoma State. We might hand out some awards for the season as well. But uh, until then, Colby, enjoy the rest of the national title game, and we'll get back with you next, uh, later in the week. Yes, sir. Go Pokes.